This afternoon we're going to look at the Belgian Confession and we look at our, uh, God's Word teaches us in, as, we, as the churches have summarized it, in the Belgian Confession, Article 25. So in connection with that, we're going to read from the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10, the first 22 verses. Hebrews chapter 10. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered. For the worshippers once purified would have no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. Previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burnt offering and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. He then said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. By that we, will have, been, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ once for all. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us, for after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. Then he adds, Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, and having a high priest over the household of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. So far God's word. Let's also take the church's confession and look at Belgian Confession, Article 25. So Article 25 of the Belgian Confession, it's on page 509 of the Book of Praise. It has a title above it, Christ, the Fulfillment of the Law. We believe that the ceremonies and symbols of the law have ceased with the coming of Christ, and that all shadows have been fulfilled, so the use of them ought to be abolished among Christians. Yet their truth and substance remain for us in Jesus Christ, in whom they have been fulfilled. In the meantime, 
we still use the testimonies taken from the law and the prophets, both to confirm us in the doctrine of the gospel and to order our life in all honesty according to God's will and to His glory. So far from the church's confessions. Dear brothers and sisters, in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. I have not come to destroy, but to fulfill. This is a familiar saying, but what exactly does it mean? Jesus says that he has not come in order to destroy or to abolish the law or the pro- law and the prophets. But why then don't we follow all the laws about sacrificing, cleansing, and eating. On the other side, if we do not need to keep all these Old Testament laws, why do we still need to read them? Do we receive any benefit from reading through all those laws in the Old Testament? On top of that, most of the prophecies in the Old Testament are already fulfilled. So do we receive any benefit from reading through the seemingly endless prophecies of Isaiah and Jeremiah? Is there any benefit in spending a lot of time and effort trying to understand them? Can't we just take the Psalms and the Proverbs and some of the nice stories and leave the rest of the Old Testament to the scholars? Can't we just live with the New Testament? This afternoon, we'll look at the relevance of the Old Testament for today with the theme, Christ makes the Old Testament relevant for today. We'll look at two points. First, the Old Testament fulfilled by Christ. And secondly, the Old Testament not abolished by Christ. Christ makes the Old Testament relevant for today. The Old Testament fulfilled by Christ. In one way, the Old Testament is quite different from the New Testament. Old Testament worship included a lot of ceremonies and symbols. These ceremonies included sacrifices, which already took place shortly after the fall. These ceremonies ceremonies included all the laws about cleanliness, what you were and were not allowed to eat and touch, and how to become clean again when you became unclean. They included all the festival days and feasts. The symbols included things like the ark, the lampstand, the altar, the decorations of palm trees and angels in the tabernacle and temple. The Old Testament is full of these ceremonies and symbols. These Old Testament ceremonies and symbols had a purpose. The New Testament calls them a shadow of the good things to come. They pointed to something that was to come in the future. They were not meant to be an exact representation of what was to come, but they were a picture of what was to come. And with a shadow, you get a good picture of reality, but not a detailed picture of reality. These ceremonies and symbols gave God's people a picture of what was coming. But... 
as a shadow, the Old Testament law had limitations. It could point to what was coming, but it could not do. It could itself not do what it pointed to. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. The countless sacrifices that were offered every year pointed to the fact that sacrifice was needed in order to pay for sin. But they could never make those who approach perfect. Instead, in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. The law was a constant reminder that something better was needed. And God did not want the sacrifices and offerings just for their own sake. No, He commanded them because they pointed to the one sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Therefore, when He came into the world, He said, Sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for Me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sins, you had no pleasure. When the time came for the shadows to become reality, God prepared a body for Christ. Christ took on human flesh. And that would be an acceptable sacrifice for sin. That was the sacrifice that could actually take away sins. That was a sacrifice that could actually perfect God's people. When Jesus came, He fulfilled the law. He did what the law pointed to. The law prescribed the duties of the high priest. Jesus was the perfect high priest. The law prescribed sacrifices. Jesus was the one sacrifice that could pay for sins. The law demanded cleansing ceremonies based on sacrifices. We are now cleansed with the sprinkled blood of Jesus. God demanded the law to be kept perfectly in order to be saved. Jesus kept the law perfectly in order to save us. Everything that the law pointed to, Jesus did. Christ did what the law could not do, perfect us. Give us free access to God. But how can we know that for certain? When Jesus breathed his last, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The veil or the curtain was there to limit access to God. Until that time, only the high priest could enter the most holy place, and he could only do so once a year and with blood. But God tore that curtain in two, allowing free access to the most holy place. The, turn, the torn curtain was a sign from God that the eternal high priest had given the final sacrifice that could make his people perfect. They were now allowed in his presence. This is why we can be confident that Christ fulfilled the Old Testament that is why the author of the Hebrews can say, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He consecrated for us through the veil, that is, through His flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, 
Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We now have free access to God because Christ did what the law could not. When we read the Old Testament today, we can think about what it shows us about Christ's fulfilling work. When we read about all the Old Testament sacrifices, we can meditate upon the thousands upon thousands of animals that had to die. We can meditate on the seriousness of sins. So many animals had to die. We can also meditate on how much sin stains. All those animals could not wash away the stain of sin. We can meditate on how great a sacrifice was needed to not only pay for our sins, but to also wash away the stain of sin. When we read all the laws about regarding the clean and the unclean, we can meditate on the offensiveness of sins. No unclean person was allowed in God's presence. We can meditate on the contagious nature of sins. How easily it spread. We can meditate on the fact that the unclean, the sinful, could only be made clean on the basis of sacrifice. We cannot make ourselves clean without sacrifice, without the sacrifice. The more we understand the Old Testament law, the more we understand the seriousness of sin and the greatness of Christ's sacrifice, when we look at how Christ fulfilled the Old Testament, it becomes very relevant to us today. Christ's fulfillment of the Old Testament also impacts how we worship today. First, the preaching changes. Preaching already existed in the Old Testament. The priests and the prophets were the teachers of the Old Testament. But now the preaching becomes even more prominent and is fuller in nature. With the fulfillment of the shadows, the shadows get set aside and the preaching of the Word becomes central. With the fulfillment of the Old Testament, there is so much more to say about these Old Testament passages. Things that were hard to understand in the Old Testament suddenly get seen in a different light, in a clearer light. Things that could only be spoken of with vagueness or in hope can now be spoken of as history. And the prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled can be spoken of with all the more eagerness because of what Christ has already fulfilled. So much has already come to pass. The end must be near. Secondly, when we worship, we need to make sure that we do not hang on to the old shadows. Just as the Hebrew Christians were tempted to go back to the Old Testament shadows, this can be tempting to do. The shadows can look so pretty and seem so pious. We only need to think about the stirring rituals of the church of Rome as a priest offers the regular sacrifice of the Mass. And in newer development, we can look at some groups of Messianic Judaism which bring much, much, 
which bring back much of the Old Testament law, including circumcision. All these things may look pious, but they all fail to recognize the fulfilling work of Christ. In how we worship, let us never deny Christ's saving work by clinging onto the old shadows. That brings us to our second point. The Old Testament not abolished by Christ. We started the last point by saying that in one way the Old Testament is quite different from the New Testament. Now we'll look at the other side and see that the Old Testament is quite similar to the New Testament. We first need to deal with something that might look a bit contradictory. Christ said that he had not come to abolish the law and the prophets. At the same time, we confess in Belgian Confession Article 25 that the use of the Old Testament shadows should be abolished. We need to make clear here that there is no contradiction here. The Belgian Confession does not teach that the Old Testament shadows should be abolished, but only that their use should be abolished. You might ask, is there really any difference between abolishing the Old Testament shadows and abolishing their use? Well, yes, there is. While we may no longer use the Old Testament shadows, their truth and substance remain for us in Jesus Christ, in whom they have been fulfilled. The use of the shadows may be abolished, but their truth and substance, what they teach, has never been abolished. Paul tells the Corinthian church, these are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. We may no longer sacrifice, but we still need sacrifice. We need Christ's sacrifice. We may no longer follow all the cleanliness laws, but we still need to be clean. We need to be washed by Christ's blood. We may no longer need to follow all the civil law of Israel, but we still need to live every aspect of our lives in love for God and for one another. Christ may have kept the moral law in our place, but we still need to be renewed by the Holy Spirit according to that very same standard. The shadows may be in the past, but their substance is very much here today. We may never forget that there is an unbreakable link between the Old and New Testaments. Although things changed at the coming of Christ, things also stayed very much the same. The gospel message never changed. Salvation was always through faith in the seed of the woman promised already in paradise. Throughout time, God revealed more and more about this seed. Abraham knew more than Adam. David knew more than Abraham. And the Jews in Jesus' days should have known much more than David. But it was only when Jesus came as the great prophet, the one greater than Moses, that the full gospel message was made clear. Only then did we get the full picture. But the gospel message never changed. 
the gospel message only became ever clearer over time. This continuity from the Old Testament to the New Testament also means that we need the Old Testament in order to fully understand the New Testament. For example, when John the Baptist sees Jesus and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We need the Old Testament to understand that the imagery of a lamb taking away the sins of the world can only refer to sacrifice and especially the Passover lamb. Without the Old Testament, we miss out on so much of the meaning of what is said in the New Testament. The apostles also did not spread the gospel without the Old Testament. They regularly quote from the Old Testament. Rarely, if ever, do we find the apostles preaching to an audience that had no knowledge of the Old Testament. Even when Paul was preaching in the Areopagus, he was preaching in a city that had a synagogue and to a crowd that was interested in hearing every new thing. It was unlikely that they did not know the ways of the Jews. Yes, the Jews were more likely to know the Old Testament better than the Gentiles. Yes, some of the Gentiles would have to learn much about the Old Testament. However, at the same time, many Gentiles had already been God-fearers who attended the synagogues for a long time before the message of the New Testament arrived. Jews were spread throughout the Roman Empire, and God's Word was already known by many Gentiles. We read of this also in Acts when James says, For Moses has had through many generations those who preached him in every city, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. The gospel was not spread without the Old Testament. We also need the Old Testament to encourage us that the New Testament doctrine or teaching is true. For example, when Paul and Silas preached in Berea, the Jews received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures, that's the Old Testament, daily to find out whether these things were so. And scripture records that therefore many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. Because they saw that Christ fulfilled what was predicted in the Old Testament, they were encouraged to believe. That encouragement in faith is also in Peter's mind when he stirs us up to be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, the Old Testament. Peter is writing in the context of warning us that scoffers will come to scoff at what we believe something that we really face today. When we study the Old Testament and New Testament together, we get encouraged in our faith when we see prophecies fulfilled in Christ. We can get encouraged to continue to believe the prophecies that still need to be fulfilled, the prophecies of Christ's return and the everlasting life to come. The Old Testament is a great encouragement to us today. And if we break apart the Old and the New Testament, losing sight of the continuity and unity of God's Word, then we cause problems with our faith. 
We lessen our ability to understand the language and imagery of the New Testament. We can more easily fall into doctrinal error, false teaching, as we do not see the continuity between the Old and New Testaments. We see this strongly in relation to the doctrine of baptism. It was an issue in the days of the Belgian Confession with respect to the Anabaptists, today's Mennonites. Today it is still an issue with the Charismatics, Pentecostals and Baptists. Those who struggle with or disagree with, in, with the validity of infant baptism do so because they do not see the unity between the Old and New Testaments. They fail to understand what Paul means when he calls baptism the circumcision of Christ. Only if you see the Bible as one book do you understand that it is only normal that God did not have to specify that the new covenant symbol of baptism still included children. That was naturally assumed by everyone. Only when you see the connection between the Old and New Testaments does a multitude of adult baptisms in the New Testament not cause a problem. Then you see that Abraham also received the covenant sign as a believing adult. That every man who joined Israel in the days of the Old Testament also received the covenant sign as a believing adult. And then you also see that their sons, just like our children throughout the generations following, received the covenant sign and seal in their infancy, not in adulthood. But if you break away apart God's word into two separate books, you lose much of the context of the covenant symbol, then you can so much more quickly end up in false doctrine, false teaching. The Old Testament is also there to help us to order our life in all honesty according to God's will and to His glory. How do we live our lives according to God's will and to His glory? By living in love for God and our neighbor. This is the summary of the law. Which law? The entire law. Where do we learn the most about what it means to love God? Where do we get the most examples of good and bad worship? Where does God speak about these things the most? In the Old Testament. Where do we learn the most about what it means to love our neighbor? Where do we get the most of examples of how to behave in daily life in order to live in love for our neighbor? In the Old Testament. For example, what advice does the New Testament give in relation to how to sh we are to show love for our neighbor when building a house? Not much, other than to say that we must obey the government. However, the Old Testament gives us more guidance. It tells us that when you build a new house, then you shall make a parapet or a railing for your roof, that you may not bring guilt of bloodshed on your household if anyone falls from it. Now, does that mean that we all have to call a builder tomorrow and get them to build a railing around our roofs? Well, of course not. God gave these laws to a people living in a particular context. They lived in a particular historical context where houses were built with flat roofs and were everyday living spaces. 
Few of us today use our roofs as a living space. Some Old Testament laws won't work for us. However, the principle behind these laws still apply. God commanded parapets or railings to be built out of love for the neighbor, for their well-being, so they wouldn't fall off the roof and hurt themselves. Applying this principle today means that we'll have fences around our balconies and pools for the very same reason. As Paul writes to Timothy, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Christ did not come to abolish the Old Testament, but to fulfill it. Because of this, the Old Testament is very relevant for us today. Christ makes the Old Testament relevant for us today because He fulfills all the shadows of the Old Testament. So much of what the Old Testament points toward is the reality that we live in today and the hope that we have for tomorrow. Christ makes the Old Testament relevant for today. When we read the Old Testament and are encouraged in our life of faith today, when we understand the New Testament better because of the Old Testament, when we are encouraged in, in our faith and hope by the prophecies already fulfilled in Christ, Christ makes the Old Testament relevant for us today when we learn from the Old Testament about how we are to live in the freedom Christ has won for us. So can't we just take the Psalms and the Proverbs and some of the nice stories and leave the rest of the Old Testament to the scholars? Can't we just live with the, Old Te- with the New Testament? Brothers and sisters, I hope that by now you realize that we cannot. Christ makes the Old Testament relevant for us today. Amen.